0: I mean, we've been the Canadian Payroll Association. We were established in 1978. And uh, obviously, I mean, we represent Canadian employers' payroll interests. Um, so now we are the National Payroll Institute as of March 7. And really what we're looking to do is to, you know, obviously elevate the payroll profession. And that's one of the things that we would uh, do as an, as an institute. Because, you know, payroll, it's, it's the vital health of Canadian businesses across Canada. And we want to be setting the professional standard of excellence in terms of sharing critical expertise. So we thought, you know, changing it from the Canadian Payroll Association, which has been operating extremely well and very successful over the years. And just, you know, part of that transformation uh, as elevating the profession itself. I think it's important for us to move towards that step as we look to, you know, um, elevate the profession in itself.
1: Hi, Graham, how are you?
2: Hi, Mel, I'm well, thanks. How are you keeping?
1: I'm, I'm good. I'm, I'm on my, well, I'm not COVID positive now, but I, I'm having the lovely side effects that everyone's reported with COVID. So uh um, if I sound a bit funny, you know why. Um, but it's great to see you. And we have a great uh, woman in payroll today, Janet Grosset. So hi, Janet. Great to meet you. Hi there. Thank you. Thank you for having me.
2: So maybe if we just jump right into to your history, and um, I thought we might come at this at a, at a different way uh, today. And, and I wonder if you could just tell me a little bit about your first payslip. Not your first job in payroll, but what was what was your first payslip?
0: Wow. Um, my first payslip was, I used to make $2.65 an hour. I started to work when I was 15 years old, and I was working at McDonald's. So <laughs> it's funny, my friend and I were talking about that the other day, and we were reflecting on how how far we've come uh since we were teenagers and uh and growing up and you know being responsible adults but yes my for my first pay statement was I used to earn two dollars and sixty five cents an hour and I remember it was just before Christmas and uh I uh, I earned a total pay of a take home pay of twenty four dollars and sixty five cents and I have to tell you I have Two brothers, my mom and my grandfather. I was able to buy Christmas presents back then for all of them. <laughs> so I, that's a that's a that's a nice way to reflect in terms of how far you've come in terms of uh, salaries and uh, minimum wage.
2: <laughs> Absolutely, and uh, you know, I, I I remember getting getting my first uh, pay slip and wondering what this tax stuff was that people were deducting off. And um, I still think those same questions get asked at, uh, at different points right across school leavers and communities. So still plenty of opportunity for people to better understand their their payslip. Um, so how, how did you go from McDonald's to um, moving into payroll?
0: So um, in terms of my background, I'm originally from Jamaica. I migrated to Canada when I was eight. I finished up high school. I really wanted to be a DJ on the radio, but that fell through. I ended up obtaining my systems degree uh, from DeVry. I worked for a local union and, um, you know, the accountant was actually going on vacation. So I, you hear a lot of these stories, how you kind of just fell into payroll. People aren't really choosing payroll as a profession, but, you know, the National Payroll Institute, we're working to change that. Um, and so he was going on vacation. And he asked me if I wanted to look uh, um, to process payroll while he was away. So I said, okay, no problem. So I started doing it. I loved it. Um, And the rest is history. A few years later, I completed my, we had level one, level two, and level three. So the payroll administrator, supervisor, and manager um, designations at the association. And I took the course. And um, now we are the National Payroll Institute and I got my certified payroll manager uh, designation in 2011 when I started working here. So prior to that, I went to work for several organizations, uh, moved up the ranks from payroll administrator to supervisor. Then I ended up working for ADP as a service delivery manager in the outsourcing group. And I was and that was 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. I worked for ADP for around nine years and I remember going to a, a, a payroll conference with the, the CPA, Canadian Payroll Association. And it was so packed, there was no room to sit. And I, I remember walking up to the front and sitting at the head table with Stephen Van Alsine, who is my VP of Education now, and also the president of the American Payroll Association. And I was in such awe, I said to myself, I would just love to work for this organization someday. So here I am 11 years later accounting counting and working for one of the most successful associations in Canada, uh, the National Payroll Institute. I couldn't be more happy.
2: Fantastic. So it's it's intriguing this start. So the accountant goes on holiday and says to you, would you like to run payroll whilst I'm on vacation? Um, yes. I, you had a systems degree. So this this was a fairly easy thing for you to do? Or, or did you have to full panic? How do I do this? Do you well, remember what that experience was like?
0: Oh, absolutely. In terms of uh, making that shift from, because I was doing programming, I was doing office services, I was handling benefits. So it was kind of like a natural progression for me in terms of learning the payroll function. Uh, you know, And we didn't have time clocks back then right? So I'm kind of aging myself. So everything was all paper-based, paper-based timesheets. We had to get approvals. I remember filling out the the documents, sending it into the bank so that people would get paid. There wasn't wasn't anything called direct deposit back then. Um, So a lot of people got paychecks back then. And so, you know, in terms of how payroll has transformed and technology has transformed, can really shape the way you progress in your career as well. So that was that was an eye-opener for me. I'd never done payroll before. All I know is I was getting my paycheck every two weeks and everything was good. <laughs> it was accurate. It was on time, but I never knew how to process it. So I had the opportunity to do that and, and I, I just ran with it. I loved it after that.
2: And, and I'm guessing that 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 first payroll run went quite well otherwise you would have had a you know the old (laughs) payroll story that when everything goes well no one says thank you but if it doesn't you have a queue at your desk so (laughs) it went well and 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 you love doing it can you what about it do you do you find compelling is it the complexity or how much it changes has it been the the journey from doing things on paper to doing things through technology but in the early days what was it you loved about payroll that, that kept you in it
0: well i think for me i i chose it as a career after being um after su- being submerged into the the field I, I felt that it was a good way to start a career um and i wanted to see where it could take me um so you know well, over 25 years ago, um, I think it's actually more th- closer to 30 years um, that I've been practicing payroll. And in terms of the technology and the transformation, I remember having stacks of timesheets to go through, uh, going through um, spreadsheets. And it wasn't even called Excel, it was called Lotus 123. <laughs> I remember doing things on mainframe systems, not in the cloud. So, so things like that um, that have transformed and really shaped payroll. And I think really and truly is to, to see, um, you know, employees that they're happy receiving their pay and making sure that it was accurate and, and on time. I think that was, that's one of the key elements of being a payroll professional and just impacting people's lives in terms of, um, you know, ensuring that they're paid uh, accurately and on time. And so that they can, you know, have uh, um, an impact on the economy, because without their pay, you know, they would they would be there wouldn't there wouldn't be um, uh, there would be people uh, in, in financial uh, distress if their pay wasn't accurate and on time. So having that experience um, for um, individuals was what, and I love love interacting with people. Um, I just like to, I think I'm just a people person. So I thought it was important for me to, um, to go through and, um, and manage my career and ensure that I was uh, in that space of um, paying payroll professionals. And then, of course, the, the, the Canadian Payroll Association, now the Institute, um, helped me progress through that stage as well. So they have three different, uh, back then they had three different uh, designations um, and I was in the old program and then I took the certified payroll manager program, the CPM program back in 2011 and it completely changed my career, um, provided more opportunities obviously in terms of my growth um, but I felt it was important to do that if I wanted to um, progress
2: uh, throughout my career, mm. and and in that career, it, it's it sounds like you, you you started out and you were running an in-house function or working in an in-house function, and you had a direct relationship with those employees that you were making sure they got paid accurately and on time. So you get that immediate feel good from the job of of seeing people living their lives around you. Um, you then progressed through payroll outsourcing and payroll services. So how did that move um, shape your perspective on payroll? Because it's seeing it from a slightly different angle and and perhaps seeing um, more or a wider variety of types of payroll because you're no longer just in one function. You're working across organizations. So what did you take away from from that experience?
0: That was the that was the pivotal moment in my life, I think. Um, When I went to work for ADP, um, I I was a a service delivery manager. Um, And I think when I left there nine years later, I had about 600 clients. And there were various complexities. I mean, you could have a payroll of 10 people that was complex, more complex than 100 people. We ran different payroll frequencies, so weekly, biweekly semi-monthly, monthly, on-request payrolls, and we did payrolls from start to finish. So in other words, you were not just inputting the payrolls, you were also producing their their annual um, T4 slips and their relevé slips uh, for those in Quebec on an annual basis, and also um, their record of employment as well. So you got to, to learn so much because there was such a wide variety Uh, various complexities across Canada, Um, and that really shaped my career in terms of uh, my growth um, within the organization and then eventually coming here to the Institute.
2: And and on that journey, has it always been Canadian payroll? And I know there's a lot of complexity in in Canadian payroll between you know you just touched on on the uh, Quebec versus uh, maybe the Ontario uh, the provincial uh, approaches. Um, did did it cover U.S. payroll or more global payroll, or has it always been Canadian focused?
0: Yes, for myself personally, I only um, I only took Canadian payroll. I do know a little bit of U.S. payroll, uh, cross-border payroll. Um, I think I just know enough to be dangerous, but I'm not an expert by any stretch with respect to U.S. payroll. Um, so our focus here at the institute is is typically it is Canadian payroll from coast to coast. <laughs>
2: mm-hmm. And and so this move towards being the National Payroll Institute, Mel, we've we've touched a couple of times on. This development of the profession, and when we spoke with Zenny, how the, the the academic roots are developing in in Sweden. Um, so, perhaps share with a, a few of the listeners what what's your current responsibility inside the the, the NPI, um, and then we can talk a little bit more about that in in some depth. Uh,
0: so, uh, my current role um, within the institute, I've been I'm going on my twelfth year. Um, So, my role is Manager of Compliance Services and Professional Development. So, in my role, I'm I'm responsible for managing the Compliance Services and Professional Development Department, uh, where we deliver programs and services to our members that meet their payroll knowledge needs and requirements. I also manage our InfoLine group. So, our InfoLine group is staffed with nine fantastic payroll compliance advisors. Um, I also have an education content specialist, a document specialist, and a bilingual administrative assistant, uh, and we support our members. Uh, um, I work closely with other departments uh, with respect to um, turning content into knowledge um, and also dealing with conference programming, webinar development, and also um, payroll certification content review. Um, so I do get it close I do also get involved with uh, um, collaborating with the government and legislative affairs department as well uh, so where I come in with that or my team comes in with that is that we actually um, you know liaise with uh, um, we provide input to the gov- to our GLA department on um, on um, providing input uh, on government and legislative regulations, as well as liaising with provincial and federal governments on on payroll legislation. Uh, And this also includes, you know, reviewing federal and provincial publications and resources as well. So
2: So looking back on the last two years, and actually um, we're recording this on Uh, March 23rd, which is two years to the day since Mm -hmm. uh, the the UK, I'm I'm based in the UK and the UK went into lockdown and same dates, everybody will be celebrating, celebrating, marking the two year anniversary of of that event soon. But it it triggered an unprecedented um, set of compliance and legislative challenges. So as you look back on the last couple of years, how has that, how has COVID impacted the context in which compliance issues are dealt with in, in, in Canada?
0: Well, I I do think, I do think there's, there's been um, some regulatory changes around paying and managing employees. And it also increases in complexity Um, since joining the Institute in 2011. um, We, we, we always kept uh, an inventory of uh, payroll related legislation. We had over 270 pieces of legislation and regulations across the country that impacted payroll. Um, And when COVID hit two years ago, we saw that number increase. Um, We saw at at the last count, there's well over 550 COVID-19 announcements um, since March, 2020. Um, And this included the creation or expansion of federal government programs or new legislative requirements for provincial and territorial programs, so uh, it impacted a lot of employers. Our info line, we you know we answer inquiries. We that year we had over 50,000 inquiries, um, and we saw close to 40% increase of inquiries that came in from employers wanting to know about those changes and how it impacted them. So cross-border and in Canada, we're seeing a shift in uh, employees changing where they work and how they work. Employers were faced with massive layoffs and closures as a result of the pandemic. And there also became a shortage in in in-demand skills. So employers are seeking to actually retain and uh, top employees. Um, And we found that, you know, uh, we see a lot of reports out there that employers, they needed to relax their policies and become more flexible to facilitate working from home and taking care of the employees. And so as a result of these types of changes, you know, remote and cross-border opportunities also provided implications when it came to payroll, uh, from an payroll administrative perspective and compliance perspective. So things like um, province of employment, labor and employment standards, workers' compensation and even taxable benefits, and even working-from-home expenses were all key things that uh, uh, employers needed to consider. Um, And so when employers consider work-from-home arrangements, they need to involve payroll in the process so they can make informed decisions about, um, you know, um, these changes in various work arrangements. So a, a lot has changed. Um, and it has impacted employers um, and employees alike.
2: And for you okay. personally, as a as a people manager, as a people leader, um, a 40 percent increase in, in inbound calls puts pressure on your team just as you're going through the same experience that everyone's calling you to ask about, you know, what we, should we be doing? How do we do this? So can you share some Some of your experience or reflections as a manager about how you approached that and uh, the experience of working with your team through that that transition or that that sudden step change in demand.
0: Well, there were days, Graham, where we were faced with um, back to back calls. I remember um, there was one day where we, we, we couldn't keep up with the volume. There were over 300 inquiries um, that were missed in one day. Um, A lot of organizations, including ourselves, we we had to pivot. Um, You know, and and my first priority was ensuring that my team was okay. Because of the volume and the stress levels that went up along with that, um, we had to make sure, I had to make sure that my team was um, their well-being was taken care of. Uh, and managing the stress of COVID, um, the uncertainty of um, of the economy, um, but within our organization, we actually thrived. Uh, um, you know, unfortunately, a lot of organizations um, did not have that capability, and they were closing their doors. But we thrived during the pandemic. So, in terms of um, some of the challenges we faced and how we dealt with them I had constant meetings with the team Uh, we involved our government and legislative affairs department so if a legislative uh, change came out where it was impacting employers we would meet to discuss what the changes were Uh, we would actually also need to communicate those changes to our members Um, so we uh, we have our late breaking news that is on our website that um, employers and organizations can go in and find out what those legislative changes were. So we were constantly making updates, communicating to our members, communicating amongst each other, but we were all working remotely. And, um, you know, the effect of working remotely, um, what came out of that is that I felt that our team became a lot closer. Um, We were more collaborative um, and we had conversations and email exchange of emails with respect to how to deal with a, a specific question and how does um, uh, in terms of best practices for organizations um, and, and so that collaborative nature of the team is still um, extended even to today um, two, two years later Um, and how we've pivoted in terms of um, our delivery method for our professional development seminars. We went from being in class to being online. And that in itself was very extremely successful. In the beginning, it was a little bit, um, uh, we we did some trial and errors. We we actually uh, did online learning. We felt that uh, we started out with one day so seven and a half hours of worth of learning. And we thought, you know, we need to change this because people were complaining the day is too long. So we pivoted, made it half day. So we turned a one day training into two half days. And so the smaller learning bites for our members was important. Uh, we had to train our speakers to use the new platform. Um, and so we're constantly changing and evolving. So a lot of learnings came out of that, uh, not just for my team, but also for the speakers as well in terms of how we educate people so we're going to be doing a lot more changes as we move along as well
2: mm. and are there any is there anything as you look back on your career were there any moments that had helped you prepare for that any skills you'd developed or you know formative experiences working with managers that in that situation you thought yeah i i I've seen something like this before, or I, I know how I want to respond because I've, I've worked with leaders who've, who've role modeled this behavior before, or was it all just new and reacting to what was in front of you?
0: Well, you know, um, COVID, um, I think it put a lot of people and organizations on their heels. I think uh, um, learning how to pivot, um, learning how to think quickly and make decisions uh, in terms of you know uh, your work. Um, but may- mainly for me it was managing people and knowing your staff. I think you know also having that empathy towards employees is, is ex- was extremely important. There were times where you know individuals on my team, they were just not having a great day. so you had to be able to um, to say, okay, you need to step back, get off the phones. Take that time by yourself and focus on something else. Because the challenge of um, first of all, you're not in the office, so you can't see people. Um, so you have to develop more ways in terms of communicating to people, um, and also reading body language uh, when you're doing your Zoom calls. Are people connected? Are they disconnected? Um, you know, and and so managing people in a virtual environment was more challenging than anything else, but I think we did a great job in terms of turning it around. In the beginning it was challenging because of the volume. And now that's kind of stabilized in terms of our, the number of inquiries that are coming in. And so it's, it's kind of like business is normal now um, with the exception of in-person sessions. Um, but um, in terms of my role and the impact um, that I feel that I had on the team, was basically um, people skills. Um, I think, you know, um, as a leader, it is important for you to have an awareness and an understanding of your your team um, in terms of how they do their work, what are their strengths, what do they need? um, How can you develop them further? How can you push them to do um, a great job so they go from good to great? And how do they elevate uh, in in terms of their profession and their learning as well? So it's important for us to to keep that connection um, and keep that conversation open and also have frequent dialogue. You're not just doing, you know, a once a month call or every three months. Keep in touch with your team um, and, you know, provide that uh, support that they need.
2: And that's a really interesting balance between being supportive and being flexible, but also pushing them, pushing them to be great, pushing them to go from good to, to great. Mm-hmm. So I want to I want to ask you to look back on your career and you don't have to name a, an individual, but. Um, a manager that you work with, someone who's managed you, um, that you learned from, um, think of a specific example, and then what what did they do? that made them good at that in the environment that we all operate in, in terms of this payroll world and the corporate world, Um, what what made them a good manager? What makes them memorable to you now?
0: I'm gonna go back to ADP, because I think that was one of the most um, pivotal moments of my life. Uh, um, So as I said, I worked in the outsourcing group and um, my manager at the time, her name was uh, Marion St. Germain. Um, she was our operations manager for the Comprehensive Outsourcing Services Department at the time. And she, she actually gave me an opportunity so to, to work at, at, uh, at ADP. And I am forever grateful because it, it actually propelled my career even more by providing me opportunities that I had never had before uh, in, term, in the payroll field. Um, so from learning uh, payroll across all jurisdictions, um, she provided us with the learning, the tools we needed uh, to ensure that we were successful, um, not just myself, but my other colleagues as well. And of course, you know, um, she, she was able to foster our growth. Um, she was understanding. She was empathetic. She was, um, and, and she also became a very close friend. Um, unfortunately she passed away and, um, it really impacted myself and also our team. I remember, um, you know, uh, when we had the services for pretty much, uh, three quarters of the team was able to make it. Um, so that just shows how important she was, not just for myself, but for the entire team on a whole. So she, she was, she was actually my mentor. Uh, in my role at uh, at ADP, uh, but I've had a, quite a few uh, uh, mentors along the way, but she was the one that, was, that provided the most impact uh, to me in my career.
2: Thank you for sharing that. And there was just a little bit, as you were talking there, I was thinking about who was the person who gave you confidence, because you described a session at the beginning where you walked into a room um, and it was really full, so you just went and sat up the front. Um, which I think is a really interesting approach (laughs) to, you know, we've all done those conferences where the front row is empty. No one wants to sit at the front and you just walked up the front and sat down with a couple of the industry leaders. Yeah. So where did that confidence come from? And
0: uh... I think my confidence comes from my mom. Um, My mom, she's, she's a strong person, very strong willed. Um, She's always telling me, you know, you can do this. Um, I remember um, one time I said to her you know I'm kind of disappointed I never really went to have a university degree she goes well you didn't ask me if you wanted to go to university you wanted to do something else so she you know she was very she is still very supportive uh, of my career and um, she's actually my best friend as well so she provides me a lot of confidence, um, also my best friend. Um, so, you know, the women in my life have been extremely, um, extremely supportive, and I have some great friends as well. So.
2: <laughs> and, and one of the topics, we've touched on it with a few of the the guests on this podcast, being women in global payroll, is whether actually being a woman in global payroll, is is gender an issue? Is it ever a challenge to be um heard or to contribute in the way that you want to are there issues the industry still needs to address and and deal with from your perspective
0: well i mean i i don't think that there's an issue from a gender perspective i mean it, it is a female dominated um career i i see a lot of uh i see a lot of, i see, I see some shift in that in terms of uh, men actually getting into the payroll field as well. Um, I mean, when we, when I go to conference, I certainly see more women than I do men. Um, But there is that shift that is happening um, in the payroll field as well. And we see that as we look at the enrollments in our certification programs. Um, I do have on my team, I only have one gentleman on my team. Um, and he's fantastic. Um, so it provides that, you know, balance on our team. But I would like to see more men uh, get into the field of payroll. Uh, I'd like to see younger uh, people actually start out their careers in payroll as well. So I think, um, you know, providing the, the necessary um, training um, is important in terms of, you um, 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 either upskilling um, and informing um, organizations about the importance of payroll and the role that they play in the organization. It's not just pushing a button. It's more, you know, as a payroll professional, um, you can be strategic uh, in organizations and and not just, um, you know, pay people accurately and on time, but you can also um, have a seat at the table when there's negotiations for unions. Um, If there's important decisions that need to be made, payroll can facilitate that as well. So I think it's important for us to, you know, envision not just, um, you know, female uh, dominated career. I think it's important for everyone to know about the career and what exists and how payroll has changed um, and how uh, technology has transformed the, the, uh, the profession and, um, you know, work towards um, ensuring that uh, people are trained and upskilled in their career and in their goals.
1: I was going to say, we don't hear it very often, do we, Graham, where um, people say that, um, they want more men to, to join the industry. And in, in Canada, I'm really interested to know, are there a lot of um, s- women in senior positions within Canada? Because I think at, within the UK, it's slightly the other way around. It's still heavily dominated by women, but the senior positions are you know, more... I mean, it is changing, but there, it's more men that are in those positions. Is it different in Canada or is it a similar situation? Yeah. Um.
0: That's that's a, a very good question, Melanie. Um, I would say that from my own observation, I think there are more women um, that are in the uh, the managerial and you know um, director roles or VP of operations, whatever that case may be, with respect to. Um, their roles. I think it's more women, but, uh, you know, if I were to guess, I would say it's probably an 80, 20 split. That's with great. respect to women. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think, you know, as we even look at the uh, gender wage gap, um, I think that's also important. So I, I've never heard of a, 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 a um, of any of my colleagues complain about whether or not they were being paid Equally as their male counterparts, because there really isn't anything to compare it to um, when there's only it's female-dominated um, profession. But we're, you know, obviously we want to make sure that everybody's paid fairly and equally across the board, as well. So,
1: I, I had a, I heard a story just recently of somebody uh, getting a £10,000 pay rise uh, as a woman because of the gender pay gap. Yeah, <laughs> and I was yeah. Like,
0: it can happen.
1: Yeah. It, it,
0: it definitely can happen.
1: But my, yeah. my question was like, what did you say about before? She's like, no, no, I'm happy with the £10,000 pay rise. <laughs> so I was like, okay. <laughs> but, yeah, um, it, you know, it's happening. So that, uh, I think that's a really positive thing to hear that's happening in Canada, really positive.
0: Yes, for sure. Um, there are laws to protect, um, you know, the, the government obviously sees that it's important. Uh, provincial governments are um, initiating gender wage cap um, initiatives to ensure that um, women are paid um, the same as men, uh, yeah. not, you know, and they're always looking at, you know, is it equal as well, right? Yeah. Um, or when you're looking at, you know, if it's a warehouse job, are they doing the same skills? And so there's a lot of varying factors when it comes to that. But uh, for the most part, I think um, I think we'll, we'll see more of that in the next few years for sure. Yeah.
2: You, you touched on you know, the 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 changing role of technology. Um, from you know paper-driven time systems through to to where we are today with everything in the cloud or of a, a mobile device or you know within within touch around a managed service, um, and you talked about the role of of payrollers having a seat at the table. So how do you see the skills changing over the next five years to ten years? What what areas should payrollers be investing in themselves to be successful in this this new environment or or how as the industry changes and evolves?
0: Well, because um, technology um, has uh, transformed the way we work, um, I think the most important things for a payroll professional is to ensure that, um, A, they have the right tools to do their job um, and that they are skilled in terms of the the types of technology, either um, by what they are using to help them along the way in terms of their work and how they adapt and use technology um, to make informed decisions in their organization. So, um, you know, innovative, there are are so many innovative things coming out nowadays. So um, learning new technologies such as artificial intelligence um, that will replace, you know, repetitive tasks. Um, payroll can take on a more strategic role in terms of using real time data to drive business decisions. So, you know, there's, you know, employers are going to see the need to invest in employees um, when it comes to their profession as well. um, And ensuring that they uh, upskill their employees to make sure they can deal with these changes in terms of automation, technology changes, robotics, um, and so they can become—you know—they need to be more technical, analytical, um, and even in consultative um, uh, uh, process uh, in their organization. So, you know, obviously, I think this will empower them to be more strategic. And more valuable
2: to their organisation as well. And you're perhaps uniquely placed with with ownership of the professional development. So, is is the institute looking at how it equips people with those skills, or partnering with other learning and training organisations? So, you're focused on the technical skills of payroll, but you're bringing in expertise for some of those softer skills, like the the consultative or the, the you know how to communicate at the board table or are you changing your entire course structure to address these these opportunities going forward?
0: Well, yes, um, we are actually looking at that. I mean, uh, in terms of the transformation of the Institute, um, we're uh, going to be working on quite a few initiatives when it comes to looking at the future of payroll and how it impacts employers and employees, and also looking to, to change uh, some of our curriculum in terms of uh, adapting that into our curriculum as well. So there are, I think we're, we're gonna be starting the project this year, and it's, it's obviously gonna take a few years for it to really um, get off the ground, but uh, we're definitely going to be looking at um, ways that we can enhance our material. Uh, for example, our certification material for uh, CPM program certified, Payroll manager program we're going to be building in case studies in terms of technology or KPI um, into our programs so that, you know, um, payroll managers are better equipped um, out there when they're working. And in terms of experiences, uh, we have some great individuals that, uh, that teach our curriculum and they can provide real life experiences as well. So there are going to be some transformation within our programs uh, in the future um, as we look at technology and changes within the industry.
2: And in the, the global context, it's it's been a, continues to be a um, changing environment globally. But do you see Canadian payroll professionals being asked by their organizations to do more for them globally? Or do you see Canadians... Uh, Canadian businesses still thinking about payroll as something local in each country. Just interested in whether you have a view on whether it's becoming more global or less global as a, as an overall industry in, in Canada. Well,
0: I mean, certainly for larger organizations, I think there are... Um, there are definitely opportunities for them to um, have uh, payroll in each country. So on a global scale, they'll probably have payrolls, like, for example, the banks, they have payrolls in different countries. Um, so we'll see a lot of those organizations that the large organizations were, that are more equipped um, to have, you know, full service uh, global payroll um, departments. Um, And obviously, I think it's also um, important for you, if you do, if you are in the payroll profession, to learn as much as you can. If you do get an opportunity to get your foot in the door, especially when it deals to global payroll, because, I mean, it is changing. Um, We see, we're seeing a shift in terms of where people work. Um, So, you know, some organizations, um, they may be shifting from Canada, moving their operations to the U.S., uh, and vice versa as well. So you may see that shift as well, um, especially COVID may have impacted that um, and they may move their operations overseas as well. So, you know, I think it's important for, for them to, for professionals to ensure that they have the right skills and for organizations to make sure that uh, um, paraprofessionals professionals are, are provided the tools and the training. Um, to ensure that they can uh, adapt um, with the changing needs for their organization.
2: I I think that that training and development of the individual payroll professional and that that encouragement to look globally is is interesting. I think if we look at the first wave of global payroll it was very much large-scale established enterprises who already had offices around the world and were then looking at better ways to manage their payroll it's been very interesting in the last few years to see the emergence of some of these very fast growth organizations and how they're planning global from the start. Um, But they're actually quite small businesses to start with, with quite small populations. But they're trying to put in the foundation and do the work right so that when they're a big business, they're, they're fully global. But of course, that means you might have a relatively inexperienced payroll professional working for a relatively small business with huge ambitions and it can put enormous pressure on the payroll professional to to extend and adapt globally so I think it's it's great that the institute is thinking about that and I know Mel the, the work the Global Payroll Association does is is very much about encouraging that global community and giving a place where those people can come and ask questions beyond their national borders as well.
0: Yeah absolutely okay. I think that's really important to do that mm-hmm. and
1: I, I think- I, sorry Janet I was just gonna say I think people are still learning as well which I think I'm sure you're finding that Janet so you, you could be processing a payroll in Canada or the UK and then all of a sudden you've got a knock on the door from one of your bosses to say we're just employing somebody in China can can you do that please and they've never had any experience of that is that the sort of thing you're you're coming across Janet
0: well you know um because I work and mostly on the compliance side, like we don't process payrolls here at the Institute. Um, so we're more dealing, we turn content into knowledge. So we train people in in Canadian payroll legislation, we never go across border so to speak, but we do have our sister organizations who actually run their programs here. So for example, the American payroll association and also CIPP um, where they have introductory programs, but, um, In terms of leveraging um, that skill set, again, I don't see it as often, but I've heard of it from some of my colleagues. Yeah. Especially, um, you know, if they're working in the outsourcing group and you know, organizations, they can call up and say, I have an employee in China, just like you said right? Well, there's a few things you need to consider, (laughs) right? Um, So, you know, they do have that capability at some of these uh, payroll software providers in terms of global payroll Mm. and managing um, global payrolls as well, which is really interesting.
2: And certainly, as as you saw that, uh, that move from, what, 270 pieces of legislation that impact payroll in Canada to, I think you said 550 covid 19 announcements in the space of the last couple of years if you're operating in 10 15 countries that's literally hundreds of of new legislative inputs that businesses are having to respond to from small and simple um you know changes through to something as complex as you know you touched on china the the pipl um privacy legislation that's moving through there so it does make for a an almost endless level of of complexity and fascination which i think is one of the key attractions of 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 payroll and we touched on you know your experience of the early days of payroll and just running that payroll and there is something about it that ability to directly impact how people are paid that makes it a very rewarding career and that comes through in all these conversations.
1: I was with um, Zenny, who um, has a similar role to you Janet and Zenny works um, for the Swedish Payroll Association and um, she said during Covid she felt like that she needed to be a lawyer because of all the different um, compliance changes, trying to speak to the government, trying to have a handle on it. She, she said she was up at eight, you know, obviously she was up earlier than eight, but she was working from eight in the morning till 12 o'clock every night during that time, just to get her head around Swedish payroll and, and what was actually happening. So I can imagine you're working long hours at, at some point. <laughs> um, yes, uh, I think, and for us in
0: particular, because we have over twenty thousand members, yeah, and um, you know, as we're getting the news from the government, they're calling us. They want to know right away what are those changes, uh, what does it mean for me as an employer? So it didn't provide us enough time for us to dissect the legislation. They were calling right away. I heard this announcement. What does it mean for me? How? What am I? What do I need to do? Uh, how does it impact my organization? How does it impact my employees? <laughs> and so we were getting that constantly. And so, you know, being able to communicate in real time um, with uh, our members is 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 extremely important. Um, our infoline is open from 8.30 a.m. to 5 p.m. When we came in the next day, we had literally... You know, hundreds of voicemail and emails that were coming in, in terms of employers wanting to know how did this change impact me. Um, so we we were able to obviously communicate with the government in terms of getting clarity around some of the changes and what it meant for employers. Um, and I think that's one of the one of the greatest things of working here at the institute is the relationship that we have with the government and our government legislative affairs department that actually work with the government uh, to ensure that payroll is efficient uh, um, and it's not burdensome for employers. So because some of the rules, they don't think about the unintended consequences. And so we help to uh, clarify that for government, um, whether it's at the federal level or the provincial level. um, So it makes it easier for employers as well.
2: And although I think we're 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 beginning to emerge from the other side of COVID, I don't think the world is getting any less complex um, <laughs> as we're thinking about current affairs and some of the challenges in 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 the world. but we're coming up on time and and um one thing i'd I'd, I'd love to get a sense of is um, what advice would you offer your your younger self what what might you have done differently or more of through your career in payroll
0: um well, I think, I, I, you know what, I think as my younger self, I wish there was uh, a way for my school to be aware of payroll as a profession. So that didn't happen. Um, but I think it's important, you know, as a younger self, what are some of the things that I would do? I more than likely save more, I have some kind of financial literacy um, I didn't get to do that until in my early 20s, 25 or so. Um, so I think it's important uh, in terms of the, um, educating um, your younger self or your kids. If, or, or, you know, if you have nieces and nephews, make sure you educate them in terms of financial literacy. Um, and, uh, you know, just, you know, keeping on top of your career. I think that's really important mm. as well.
2: Well, thank you. I think the commercial radio's loss of a DJ has definitely been the payroll profession's game in terms of uh, your experience, and I I appreciate you so much sharing it with us uh, today. Mel, I, I, I've done a lot of the talking. You, you, you said at the start you're under the weather a little today, but yeah, uh, any any it. further thoughts or, or questions?
1: No, I feel like I could spend another hour. I think maybe <laughs> we might have to have another podcast with you because I'd love to see what you think yeah. about how, how really. to bring in the next generation because I think there's, yeah. there's a, a great – actually, maybe we should have a couple of them, um, one of the other people we've uh, met before and get you all on to – to have a discussion about the future and how we we get people into payroll but no, it's honestly it's fantastic janet thank you so much thank, for you. thank time you so much for having
0: me i really appreciate this i think it's uh um this is my first time actually doing this so i'm really excited to see what the end result's <laughs> going to be uh, <laughs> and thank a- you very much for uh, allowing me to do that i
1: appreciate it you did a great job thank you thank you This podcast is made possible by ADP Global Payroll, giving you the confidence and transparency to transform global payroll into an engine for growth. Begin your journey at adp.com forward slash worldwide and connect with your local global expert.